Good evening. Welcome to Film and Theology. Tonight we are watching King's Speech. We will have snacks. If you've been here before, we usually have the youth snack bar. He just showed up to start setting up. So maybe by the end of this, we will have something for you to snack on and maybe popcorn even. So welcome to Film and Theology. Uh, it's always important to keep in mind that we live in within a culture, and that culture is constantly influenced by messages that are taken in through media, advertising, advertising, and media. Every media, every movie uh, has a message, something that the writers and directors uh, are saying through their story, through their movie. Story is really what it's all about. And we need to be listening to the stories that uh, our culture is speaking and taking in and that are being shaped by. And also we need to know the story of God uh, found in the scriptures and find ways to overlap the two so that we can relate God's story to the culture through the movies that they are watching. So we gather tonight to watch a movie and talk about its story and how we can relate it to the the truth that we know. And tonight we're watching a good movie called The King's Speech. It is uh, one of my favorite movies. Um, it, I didn't see it uh, when it first came out in theaters. I didn't really actually even know about it. And it uh, kind of started hearing about uh, this buzz going around about how it started winning uh, four Academy Awards and uh, it was kind of this artsy film that, that really started taking off. It is based on a true story about a beautiful friendship. It's subtitled Find Your Voice, and it's about King George VI, and here's a picture of him. And this is a man who wasn't supposed to become king. Uh, he was plagued by a de de debilitating speech impediment, a stammer, uh, but he becomes king, and is required to be the voice of a people, people as, he leads his, as he leads them into World War II. And he does this with help of an un unlikely friendship uh, that is developed with a speech therapist named Lionel Loeb. And so this is the story that we are watching tonight. And so that is the king uh, in the infamous speech, and you're going to see the scene actually tonight at the end of the movie. Uh, the king is played by Colin Firth, and he does a remarkable job. Uh, he goes by Albert, Bertie, and the Duke of York. And uh, he plays somebody who has a stammer quite beautifully. It's, uh, it's an amazing job. For you ladies out there, this meant nothing to me, but it was posted all over the place, so I added it for you. Uh, he is known for uh, his role in Pride and Prejudice with Jennifer L., and who is also in this movie. She, and they've not shared a screen since, so she actually plays Lionel Logue's wife, and so that was like a big thing that they were on this screen together again, long lost. I thought that would have gotten some kind of a response, but I guess you're like me and didn't care about that movie either, or TV show or whatever it was. Uh, this is Lionel Logue. The guy on the left is the real Lionel Logue. Uh, the guy on the right is Jeffrey Rush. Uh, you may recognize him from Pirates of the Caribbean. Very cool movie. Very cool guy. Uh, he is an Australian. 
national, both Lionel Loeb and Jeffrey Rush. Um, and in the, in this real story, uh, Lionel, Lionel Loeb is an Australian national, and that is looked down at this time. And he uses his, his experiences to see that there are psychological reasons behind his stammer. And this, too, is looked down at this time in England. And, you're, and you'll actually see this tension in the movie. Uh, the next person is Queen Elizabeth. This is Albert's wife, Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, she was t uh, really busy shooting the last two Harry Potter movies, the, the two-potter. Uh, it was a, a gamble casting her. They didn't even know if she, they'd have her for the weekends. Uh, and so they filmed her on the weekends. And uh, she says now that she doesn't even officially remember agreeing to the part but glad she did. And uh, great performance. Uh, one of the things that truly helped her was uh, when reading about her character was that Elizabeth was like a marshmallow mellow that had been welded together. And, and I think you kind of see that. It's, it's really a cool character. Uh, the next is <clears throat> King Edward VIII. This is uh, Bertie's older brother, uh, played by Guy Pierce, who was in Memento. Um, again, this is Albert's older brother. This is who is supposed to become king. And uh, as we'll see what happens uh, and why he does become king and then steps down, if you don't know the story. Um, and he plays his older brother, but in real life is seven years younger. So I thought that was kind of cool, but does the accent very, very well. Uh, the director, I really don't have much to say. His name's uh, Tom Hooper. Uh, Hooper. Uh, he is English and uh, did a section in the John Adams series in England. So he, um, he's did, he did a lot of TV stuff, and uh, kudos to him for this. The writer, on the other hand, uh, I, is, is a cool story. Uh, his name's David Sider, Seidler. Uh, he wrote this because when he grew up, he actually had a speech impediment. And he grew up listening to George, King George VI and found, the, and found the king to be an inspiration. And he thought that if the king could get over it, then, quote, maybe there's hope for me. And today he wanted to share the king's story. And again, there wasn't much written about Lionel Logue before this movie because of the tension between the Australian and, and the uh, British people and the uh, tension that there was at the time with the therapy aspect of it. Um, but And so they, they were having to make a lot of it up, and they did make a lot of it up prior to the movie. But about nine weeks prior to shooting, uh, the set designer actually found Lionel Logue's living grandson who gave them handwritten diaries. So about nine weeks prior, they actually rewrote good section, good portion of the script. And so quite a bit of their dialogue back and forth is actually was said and kind of or refocused uh, from the real Lionel Logue and King Henry. Um, and so, and there's, and there's a couple lines, and I'll share one at the end that was actually from them. Um, a couple things before we begin. They wanted to, uh, even though uh, the director, even though he was ro royalty, they wanted to show that he didn't live in the palace, he didn't wear uh, royal garbs the whole time. He did wear kind of normal clothes and lived in a normal house. Uh, but even when he goes to the common people, he was uh, there's very 
he's very clean cut, and it's very contrast against like a, dr uh, a grungy, dirty back brick wall or something like that. So there is still a dichotomy there. And the, and the director really wanted to show that the king was becoming a normal man throughout the movie. Uh, Colin, in an interview, uh, said the best explanation of how to stammer uh, was that it was like drowning. It was like a mental block, totally expo exposed, and he, he was rendered like an infant. And you see that from scene one, just the, the, the cool, uh, phenomenal uh, brick wall that he hits when he, when he stutters. Um, but there's other ways that the movie also portrays this. And pay, so pay attention when you're watching it to the camera positioning. It really says a lot um, w because of the camera positioning, composition. Uh, when we're on birdie, he's usually up close and it's a wide shot. And he's usually off center and usually down on the lower end of it. And when he's behind a microphone, the microphone is usually dominant. And he is usually... Infer the inferior object. In comparison to other characters, especially when he's around his father and brother, they are the superior and they are more centered and more um, more centered on in the shot. And there is actually no real camera movement in most of the film until the final speech. And then the camera actually starts moving around the character. And music actually plays a big part of it. You'll see that when he starts to stutter and, and starts having these roadblocks, that he is, and you'll hear a single repeating note as if the music itself cannot move on until the story does. It's just kind of cool. The King's Speech has a runtime of 118 minutes. Outside of the States, it is rated as, it was rated as a family film. <laughs> you might know where I'm going with this. However, due to the language, it was rated R inside of the States, which caused much controversy uh, before its release. So I must warn you, there is a scene where the F word is used several times, back to back. 18 times to be exact. <laughs> it is not used in a graphic sexual context, but as preparation to a speech and speech therapy. The directors were outraged and, appall and appealed DMPAA, but were denied. And this is one of the things that actually came from Lionel Logue's diaries. So they ended up releasing a PG-13 version for the states, but it was the R-rated version that won the Oscars. And that is what we will be watching tonight, the R-rated version, because that is how the movie was intended to be. And a couple of last things. Uh, Birdie has two daughters. The smaller, they, I watched the, the uh, commentary with Tom Hooper, and he goes, yeah, we made some references to the smaller daughter being the current queen, Queen Elizabeth II. And I went, I totally didn't get it because I'm American. So I'm pointing it out. The smaller daughter on the left is uh, the current queen, I guess. I don't, didn't get any other references. Um, uh, the story of the penguin that Bertie tells his daughters uh, is a personal story. Colin Firth tells his children. They adapted it slightly uh, and used it in the film. And in the final speech, Colin Firth <laughs> lost one of his contact lenses. So the king actually has one blue eye and one brown eye. Um, so not to ruin the scene or anything, but uh, I thought that was kind of funny. And after I saw it, uh, yeah, you'll see it now. And it's comment. 
So I'll pray, and then we'll start the movie. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, treasures like this and uh, things in history that can get swept under the rug and you um, bringing it to light uh, so that we can enjoy and learn and uh, laugh because it is a funny movie. Father, thank you for being a God who cares and um, gives writers ability to write, directors the ability to direct, and actors the ability to act. Father, thank you for uh, helping King, the king find his voice, and uh, we love you and we thank you. Amen. So as if you haven't heard enough stammering yet tonight, I will uh, continue. Can you turn this up? For me, please. Thank you. How many? For how many was this the first time you saw it? What did you guys think? <laughs> was that a cool speech at the end? It's all exciting. If you ever get a chance to watch the DVD, they have extras at the end, and you can actually listen to the real first wartime broad, broadcast, and it's. It's the the first one was a little longer. They shortened it for movie sake magic, and uh, but it is pretty spot on. So he did a good job with that, like he did with anything else. The line just before or just after the speech, uh, you still stammered on the W. I had to throw a couple in that way they still knew it was me. That was actually said by Lionel Logue and the real King. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was one of the things they added after finding the diaries. Um, so this is a story, uh, two unlikely friends building a beautiful bond, and uh, you see that at the end, the mutual respect and love that they have for each other. The actors, uh, the actors started uh, during the making of this movie calling it a bromance. Uh, Lionel Logue and Birdie uh, were made friends, just as it said, if you couldn't read it, uh, for the rest of their lives. They actually were like an old married couple at the end. Uh, he, Lionel Logue died a year after the king did. And uh, he kind of lost all, all will to live, actually, supposedly after the king died in that final year. Uh, and throughout the rest of uh, their lives together, there's uh, letters from the king to Logue that very personal sign-offs. And uh, so all that is very, um, very true. And Logue uh, was present for all of the king's wartime speeches, as, again, that said, if you couldn't read it. Um, and Bertie was the least likely to succeed. His father was strong and didn't understand who he was and, or what was going on. His brother was smooth-tongued and enjoyed the spotlight, even though he also enjoyed other things more. And Bertie was a royal example of somebody who wasn't built to speak. And in this day, like today, it kind of means that he wasn't built to lead. And there are a couple key points that I thought were very relevant when I watched it and listened to Tom Hooper when he was doing his commentary. And the first that I took away was that God likes using the least of these. Throughout Scripture, throughout the story of God, we see time and time again God, that God chooses to work through the person that we would view the least likely to succeed, to get the job done. We see Jacob and Esau, the Jacob being the younger brother, the, the brother not manly enough to do it. And he becomes the father of a nation. 
David kills Goliath. Esther saves her people from destruction. When Jesus is on earth, he chooses 12 disciples that otherwise were not con- would have never been considered to be disciples. Jesus himself would never have been considered to be savior. He came as a servant and not a warrior. But one of the most parallel, I think, is Moses. Moses is called to go and free Israel from the Egyptians. And we see a very similar similar path. Moses has a speech impediment and needs God and pleads with God not to use him. Exodus 4.10, starting in 4.10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in my past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow to speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with you, your mouth, with your mouth to teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O Lord, please send someone else to go. And it goes on. And God sends Aaron, his brother, to go with him, to be there for support and actually to speak alongside of him. And the key is that everybody struggles with something. And this movie hits a nail on the head. From the opening scene, Colin's role as he steps out under that microphone and he starts to gaggle and he starts to... We can all somehow relate. And it may not be a stammer prom or the pressures of royalty or performance, but we all have to find ourselves, our uniqueness, our voice, to overcome our shortcomings in our own predicaments. And just like Bertie, we can go to all the high-end speech training or, and use tricks to cheat the symptoms, like the marbles in the mouth. But thankfully, his beautiful wife didn't stop there. She searched out and led him to a guy who he needed to find. Through time and relationship, this noble royalty is able to open up about issues growing up and is able to work through them and healing is able to start to come into his life. And he starts to find what he never had, a friend who cares for him. And though through this friendship helps Bertie find his voice, which builds his confidence. And this is exactly what Jesus wants to do. He wants to be in an honest relationship with you. And this is a beautiful picture, beautiful story of that. Not that we are a king, because Jesus is a king, but that we have not truly found our voice until we have found it in him and with him. But as we, and as we develop this relationship with Jesus, as we work through the crap in our lives, Jesus wants to heal, to redeem, and to restore us and to help us find our voice. And as we go on through the rest of our lives, uh, he is always right there, leading us, conducting our words and actions, and we focus on him. And it was really cool. As Logue stands right in front of the king, right before the speech, he says, Say it to me to a friend, as if nobody else is listening. And I think this is a really cool way to look at it. In all of our words, in all of our deeds and actions, that's what we should be doing. We should be saying it to God, to Jesus. 
doing them to others, but as if nobody is but unto him. And Bertie was able to find the courage he needed to overcome his fears and deal with the pressures of becoming king. He says, quote, I believe, they believe that when I speak, I speak on their behalf, but I can't speak. And the fear of letting him down, the fear of his brother coming back, nearly cripples him. And he gets the courage to overcome all that fear. And it's nice that he never stopped stuttering either, altogether either. He was able to work through it. And I think this is more true to, to our lives. We will always deal with the issues, but we learn how to walk with God and deal with them. And it gets easier and easier, but they will always be there. And we always need to be focusing on Jesus. And just like Logue was there for every wartime speech. Another thought I had was the rules Logue put into place. No smoking, first name basis. Now there's some deceptory there because he wasn't a doctor. but So they don't full, directly apply. But I think it's important to look at how when we first come to a relationship with Jesus, there might be rules that we, we need to follow. And sometimes we're offended and they don't make sense. But I think it's important to follow those because Jesus does know why there are the rules and he knows what is best for us and we grow closer to them when we grow closer to him they stop becoming rules and simply simply become how we live our lives and what was once so foreign becomes second nature and out of love we want to call jesus by his first name and call him friend and we want to stop doing the things that actually is hurting us like the smoking and then Jesus calls us not to be inward focused. He calls us to not be isolated. And since we have a voice, we actually are called to use it. And we speak and share our stories with others. We point others to Jesus and help them to succeed and overcome their limitations by also being Lionel Logue to them. And this can be done through gospel community. Like you thought I wouldn't have said that. I have found my voice in Christ, and I am now called to go out and help others find their voice in him as well. And I believe, or, and, and in doing this, that by developing relationships with people and inviting them into community of believers so they experience Jesus, and we listen to their stories, and we uh, share our stories, and use our voice and share God's story with them. And then finally... Uh, last Sunday, Aaron spoke about how God is a lover with a broken heart. And for guys, sometimes we don't know how to take something like that. We don't know how to kind of apply that. Uh, but I think that this is a really cool way to look at it, this bromance. There's a scene in the middle where the two are walking through the park. And uh, uh, Logue pushes Bertie to become king, and he pushes too hard, and, and they, they split, and it's the breakup of the movie, and, and they, they go off in their own separate ways, and it's a while before they see each other again. And the next time in the film they see each other, uh, Bertie's king, and he's knocking on, on Logue's door. And Colin, the actor, he wanted to add the line, uh, waiting for a king to apologize, one can wait a rather long time. Because he said in any romantic comedy, when after the breakup and before the, uh, the makeup, there's one character always repeats a line from the first time they met, and this should be no exception. So they added that line. 
I thought it was fitting because in our sin, we have walked away from God. And God is standing at the door and knocking. And he says in John, starting in 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And God is a lover with a broken heart. We are the ones who have walked away. But we can have this bromance with him. Unbreakable bonds where we find our voice in Jesus. And all the courage that comes with it. That's what I got from King's speech. What did you guys get? Yeah, what he said. I had more time. Anything? Any questions? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they definitely wanted to share, to focus more on the story than, than this story, than, than kind of that, that section of history. Two things before I start, before we pray. Uh, Sunday is a very sad day. Uh, if you don't know, it is Sean and Kara's last Sunday with us. And uh, so we would not be having night service. Uh, please come Sunday morning. Uh, but, and um, then at 1 at Aaron's house, we are having a, a goodbye party for him. So you are all invited. Please come, say, uh, bring some food uh, and... Come say goodbye and thank you to them for all that they've done and how much we love them. And uh, next is uh, two weeks from tonight is How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, bring your kids uh, or any kids you know. It'll be a fun way to start. Hey, that works. Except Aaron's doing it, so you never... No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. He'll just talk about polls. And then... Um, 
uh, yeah, so two weeks from tonight, 6 o'clock, it'll be a fun way to start school back up. And uh, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, again for being a God who creates movies and laughter. And thank you for creative geniuses to put all that together. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, everybody here and, and for being uh, bigger than stammers. Stammerers. And uh, thank you for not wanting to leave us where we are and being uh, a friend who pulls us out of that. Father, we love you and we thank you. Amen.